Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers argue, answer your questions, <laughs> give you to be a surprise, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. We John, were arguing just before we started recording, but about the silliest thing. <laughs> John wouldn't shut up. I wanted to start the podcast, and he's like, let me tell you this great story. I'm like, why not do it when it's rolling? Anyway... John, when I lived in St. Petersburg, there was this great restaurant. It was called Pelican Jim's. It was run by a, a pelican named Jim. And great. I loved going to Pelican Jim's, yeah. but I hardly ever went because every time you left, they hit you with a huge bill. Now, that is a good version of the huge bill joke. I, I know. I've been working on a good, good huge bill joke for a while. I've heard a lot of <laughs> bad huge bill jokes along that same lines. Like, um, yeah. I went to a restaurant and it was run by a pelican, but the problem was the huge bill. Yeah. And that's like because almost then, like there. you're just being mean to a pelican. Like yeah. you can't it feels a and little it, bit judgmental toward pelicans. I yeah, think, you don't want to be mean to the pelican. Yeah. Uh, also, like if you have if your waiter is a pelican, that's a problem because yep. then you th- that you can't blame the waiter for being a pelican. Right. But if the owner of the restaurant is a pelican and yeah. it's about the food the being expensive and then and and he and pelican jim always hits you he, <laughs> which is not great <laughs> that's true now pelican jim is a justifiable <laughs> villain because it's not the fact that he has a huge bill that's the issue yeah. it's the fact that he uses he it to you assault you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he thinks he's just like smacking you on the back like a friend, uh, but it's like, ow, that actually hurts. Like, we all have that friend, right? Yeah. Who gives the handshakes or hugs that are a little too hard. I think I am that friend. Too much, too much. Yeah. Before we get to all the questions from our listeners, which were wonderful, and Uh I'm excited to answer all of them. Yep. Yep. I need to ask you about Wordle. I did my first Wordle yesterday. And I'm kind of excited oh. to do my next Wordle today. How did it go? I got it in four, That's... but I, the first one, I didn't get any letters. I always am so. kind of excited when I don't get any letters in my first one. I always feel like, oh, I thought of a word that they don't even know about. <laughs> Which <laughs> well, isn't does, true, of course. At least, I know. Yes, not it's how just it how I feel. But, but yeah, you do get something from that. You get yeah. less, but you get something. You get something. All right. Yeah. Do you want to do Wordle t- together? I want to do a Wordle with my brother. Oh, and that makes uh, me feel really and, loved. And what is your starting Wordle word usually? Should we go back and forth? Okay, let's go back and forth. I like to the- start. I, now, I know, I, I know that this isn't like the technical way to start. I know sure, all sure, of sure. the theories. Ouija. I, I yeah. personally like to start with a word that I have not used before as my first word. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So I was Mix thinking on the way over here that I would like to use as my first word pearl. P-E-A-R-L as in the... That's uh, a good one. Yeah, so I'm going to do that and I got a... The earring. I'll tell you what, I got one letter. I got the L, I got a yellow <laughs> L. is L. in there. I got a yellow plurals, L. Hank. There's no plurals. No in... plurals. No plurals. Okay. But you can still use an S on the end if you're looking for information. Right, right, right. So what would I go with with just L and I can't use pair? You know that so you know there's an I or an O or a U in the word, probably. Exactly. So Luigi. (laughs) 
That's not good. Ridiculously, not good. it claims that Luigi is not in the word list, which makes me question the entire <laughs> fundamentals of Wordle. Because Luigi okay. is not just a proper noun. <laughs> Luigi refers to any kind of second best sibling. Everybody knows that. <laughs> You're a, yeah, I love him, but he's a bit of a Luigi. Exactly. Who's the Luigi of the Green Brothers? Don't answer <laughs> don't that answer, question. Don't answer. We don't want to um, know. <laughs> I'm going to go with lions, John. Okay, so Hank's going to go with lions. Woo-hoo! Oh, okay. I got got L-I. All right, so now we've got L-I. All right, I am going to go with livid, as in angry. Okay. No, that that nothing. nothing. That got you nothing. That was that was a miss. That was a huge miss. Oh no. L-I. Oh no. Now we're in trouble. We so. So while so while Hank is thinking of his next word, I just want to tell the rules of Wordle to anybody who might not have been on the internet in the last three weeks. It is a word game where you start out by guessing one five-letter word, and then you only have six tries to guess the Wordle. And Hank and I yeah. have now done three of our six tries, and all we know for sure is that the five-letter word starts L-I. John, I'm going to go with light, L-I-G-H-T. I like that word a lot. And it's a word. <laughs> what a good word, Hank. Woohoo. Four guesses. My brother. He's so impressive. Oh, thanks, John. Do you think we could have a podcast where we just do wordles together? I'm <laughs> like I, every morning. Like, do the wordle with uh, Hank and John. I mean, it's not a bad Maybe, idea. Oh, no, that's how we should start this weekend stuff. Yes. Yes, that's a great idea. We'll do it on our Patreon-only podcast, This Week in Stuff at patreon.com slash John. We'll do the Wordle every week, whatever the Wordle that day is. It's a yeah, great idea. We'll I love it, it. Yeah, and then it it comes out way later than, than you know, so yeah, we won't so be no ruining spoilers. it for anyone. No spoilers, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. I love it. All right. It's just the pleasure of watching Hank and John puzzle through five-letter words together. Everybody's dream. <laughs> I've got a bunch of questions from our listeners, and I want to get to some of them. This first one comes from Mariah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I was just making myself some sparkling water with caffeine, pomegranate, lemonade powder, and I was wondering, what would happen if we tried to carbonate the ocean, soda streams, and starfish? Mariah, first of all, first of all, tell me about this awesome caffeine powder. Where do I get, like, how do I not know about this? That seems like a dangerous game. sounds right up my alley. I don't really, I don't want caffeine powder. That makes me nervous. Well, you you can control it. This is the thing I don't like about most ways you get caffeine is you get the amount that they decide you want, not the amount that I want. Okay. All right. I think it's, well, I think you can probably Google it, Hank, but what would happen if we tried to carbonate the ocean? This is not totally unlike the question at the center of Kurt Vonnegut's classic novel, Cat's Cradle, where somebody accidentally turns the oceans into ice, uh, which turns out to have a pretty negative effect on things. Right. Well, also the whole, like everything. (laughs) Yeah. So definitely, definitely an end to the whole experiment. So this would, you know, it might be an end to the whole experiment. Really? Maybe not, but maybe. Yeah. Um, so that there'd be there'd be a positive and a negative to caffeine, caffeine, caffeinating the oceans. <laughs> I feel like it's the carbonating the oceans that would really be the difference. The caffeinating the oceans yeah. would just be good, right? Like that's a so th- no downside yeah. there. <laughs> just a win. Just pour some caffeine um, in the Atlantic Ocean and see what happens to the fish. 
So if you took all the, so we have too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So you could put it into the oceans and then it wouldn't be in the atmosphere anymore and global warming would be fixed. Hmm. So there's that. But what is currently happening is that is happening to some extent. So as the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere goes up, more of it dissolves into the ocean naturally. It's just a concentration gradient thing. And uh, and that has been bad already and may, may continue to be much worse for marine ecosystems because CO2 in water creates carbonic acid, which increases the pH of the water or decreases the pH of the water and um, makes it harder for different organisms to survive. Corals, forams, a bunch of different things that are really important to marine ecosystems. Mm. And so if we carbonated the oceans, we would run out of CO2 in our atmosphere or we could take it down to whatever level we wanted to. The ocean would be a little bit bubbly. It would become super acidic. That would kill uh, a lot of the marine ecosystem. And then the the CO2 would naturally bubble back out the way that happens with a flat soda. And then, the, then global warming would come back, but with a decimated ocean. Okay. Well, so I'm going to call that one a non-starter. That but seems like it would be bad. I'm not an expert. That's what would happen. I... I I I would I would hate that personally. <laughs> I don't I don't know how fast uh like it might be that the the carbon dioxide would just bubble out so fast that um most things would be fine. So uh it would but it would be a great deal of work to make it happen. One of the first things I actually ever wrote for my blog EcoGeek, which was one of the first content things I did on the internet, was a story about how many two-liter bottles of Coca-Cola we would need to just bury or throw into the ocean mm. uh, in order to fix global warming. <laughs> Turns out, a lot. <laughs> but there is a number. There is a number. It's yeah. less than infinity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's fascinating, Hank. Here's a question from Joshua who writes, Dear John and Hank, after your video about hope in the face of doom, I watched the 2022 Doomsday Clock announcement and I found it very informative on world issues, and I really appreciated your comments on what we can and should do to help the world today. I do have to ask, though, Hank, since you're a longtime climate communicator and nerd, just how hyped were you to get invited <laughs> to present at the 75th anniversary of the Doomsday Clock, TikToks and Doom Clocks, Joshua? And for those who don't know, the Doomsday Clock has been around for 75 years now, and it's a way that scientists have of kind of getting attention once a year around the issues that are of existential concern to us from nuclear proliferation to climate change. And Hank was invited to be the keynote speaker, basically, at the 75th anniversary uh, announcement of the Doomsday Clock. It was very, very cool. And I was super proud of you. How did you feel? Uh, so this was weird. You know how I found out I was invited to do, to be the keynote speaker presenter of the Doomsday Clock 75th anniversary? I'm going to guess it was mom because it usually it is. Was mom. Yeah. It was, I got an email from mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of news about my career from mom. Yeah. I was like, is this really, is this what, is this what's happening? Cause it seemed a little weird that it would come through mom and that they wouldn't find me some other way. But yeah, they, somebody knew my, somebody knew good old Sydney green. And I was like, this is the doomsday clock. And they would like me to do the thing. And, um, 
And I, you know, as with everything in my life, I was like, can do can I even do this? Like, can I fit this in? Because it wasn't just an hour of presenting. I I wanted to take it seriously and do a good job of it. And I that would take a lot of time. And it was like weekend time that I spent spent on it. So I wanted to make sure that I like could. And then, then I figured I had to figure out how to make it work, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So I say I say no to almost everything, but I was yeah, I felt really amazing and also it was it was a thing that I knew I had to do a good job of and then I I knew that if I tried hard enough I probably could. So that I Hank felt Green like it was confidence. A I also wanted to wanted to take on um because I wasn't going to do a bad job of it. <laughs> right. Right. Uh cuz that that would be I was going to force myself to do a good job, basically. Yeah, I thought you did a great job. I thought it was a beautiful speech. All right, Hank, we have another question from Anonymous who writes, Dear John and Hank, I am extremely competitive and I love to win and I am in eighth grade and I have PE every day. This is a great first <laughs> sentence, Anonymous. <laughs> it's well constructed. Many yeah. kids in my PE class call me a PE try hard. In case you are unfamiliar with this term, it means that you are trying too hard at something that doesn't matter much. I feel like doesn't it also apply to trying really hard at things that do matter? Like, like that's that's the thing about being a tryhard that I find so confusing. Like people will say, like, "Oh, that person's such a tryhard about their education," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I mean, continue. Okay, I've got thoughts. Uh, how should I deal with this? I don't like being told this, but I do like to be competitive and do my best in all the sports I play, even if they're just at PE. How can I just try to have fun while playing sports instead of competing in everything? It's January, so that should tell everyone how long it takes Hank and John to answer a question, Anonymous Hardfark. Not that long, Anonymous Not Hardfark. Not that long. Not that it's long. It's February now. <laughs> so it could have been January 31st. And then maybe, yeah, maybe it only took us a, it the next a couple of days. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. So first of all, the the there are there are things that I think that anonymous Ardvark can worry about here. Yeah. But I think that the try hard thing in in particular is not one of them. To me, what try hard what that word says, and I could be wrong. Um, there there may be many contexts in which in which it is used, but I think that it means. I would be embarrassed to try that hard. Yes. It is cringy to care that much. Yes. And that is about them, not you. Don't don't kill the part of you that is cringy. Kill the part of you that cringes uh, because we should enjoy our lives. Yes. Um, however, there may also be a, a, a component of this that is just the vibe of the PE class, the sort of cultural expectation, is to go at 75 to 80% max. And and going at 100% uh, is just sort of not the cultural expectation. And so you are defying a cultural expectation. And people's reaction to that is to either see it as embarrassing or just uh, even annoying because it's like, can we just bring it down a notch? I got up at 5.15 in the morning mm-hmm. today because mm-hmm. that's when the bus comes to pick you up. And you know? I do, and I do think that there is potentially an element of needing to understand that it's okay not to win. Um, yeah, like that that can be part of coming across as a sore winner. Sometimes is needing to win every time. 
or needing to feel like you did everything that you could to win. And if it isn't very important to everyone else, like there can be a little bit of a disconnection because everyone else is like, it doesn't really matter who wins at Foursquare. And you're like slamming the ball in somebody's face and saying, I did it. I did it. You all are the worst. And I am the Foursquare champion of the world. I get the feeling that you're probably not doing that, though. And I, yeah. I and I agree with Hank that it is really important to hold on to your enthusiasms. I was talking to a friend of Henry's recently, actually like the older brother of one of his friends, and he was like, you know, he plays soccer and he was like, I, I, all of my friends say that I'm a real sweat when it comes to soccer. And I was like, what does that mean? He was like, it means that I sweat a lot. And I was like, like, you just have like hyperhidrosis. And he was like, no, I try really hard. And so I sweat a lot because I'm always working. And I was like, mm. and that's not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what you want in a teammate is a teammate who does a lot of running yeah. and tries uh -huh. to open up space for you and never gives up. Like, I feel like that's a good teammate. Yeah. But maybe there is something a little embarrassing or a little bit cringy about it um and you do want to be a good the thing that you want to be in a pe class is you want to be a good teammate and that means yeah. not only the people who are on your team it means all the people who are in your class like you want to be fostering or helping to foster a good vibe in pe class yeah and and that and that is that is about being aware of yeah um, and, and, the, and, you know, like there's, there's a push, at least when I was a kid to not care what anybody else thought. Um, but there is also a piece of it that is like, well, they're like being aware of how people experience things and making, uh, making room for room in yourself for how they experience things is also important. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's never easy, John. No, oh, especially not middle school PE class. <laughs> I mean, I would say yeah. more than half of my worst memories <laughs> involve middle school PE class. <laughs> do you remember when we were this at- some uh, visceral ones, that's for sure. Do you remember at Glenridge Middle School? Do you remember the gym shorts? They were like- Oh, they're so small. They were so small and they were sent so to small. you by some company and you didn't- if yeah. you didn't like your size too bad yeah, and they were like, yeah. they were so tight and they were so small. They like barely covered my butt cheeks. And I just, I oh have, my God. I, yes. I like, I, I remember. And, and like, also they were like gapy. So like, oh, yeah. like if you like sat down cross like it was like, of, here's everyone's underwear. Yes. Oh, it was just terrible. It was awful. Yeah. It was. And I, I remember <laughs> Being on the tennis court at Glenridge Middle School, the sun shining down at 170 million degrees in Orlando, September, and a kid like just, just eviscerating me. Like, yeah. And I remember him saying to me, We need to think of a nickname for you. And I may have told this before on the pod. I volunteered the nickname Shrimp. Uh-huh. Because I was like, that's you're in control. That's as good as it's gonna be. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's that's <laughs> the best case scenario. Uh-huh. Oh God. So anyway, the main thing to do in middle school 
is get through it. I have a very similar story to that. That's weird. I'm trying to picture the room that it was in. It was Glenridge. I, at Glenridge Middle School, I at summer camp, I was called Bug in like a nice way that everybody was like fun about it. Mm. And it was like, and I was, and then when I was in school, I volunteered that information. And then suddenly that same nickname yeah. was really mean. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I was like, how did like, and it was instructive at least mm-hmm. that like uh, a, a nickname can, can be both um, extremely, uh, inclusive and like a way of bringing you into something. And it can also be exactly the opposite as a way of excluding you from stuff. Um, and it can, even if it is the exact same word. So, right. Right. That, uh, it's weird that you were shrimp and I was bug. Look at us. Language (laughs) is so, it just reminds you that language is so context dependent, you know, and Uh those nicknames that you get from your friends, feel so good and you feel seen and loved. And even if the nickname is a little bit pejorative, if it's the right person, it doesn't feel in any way cruel. Mm -hmm. And then that same word in a different context coming out of a different person's mouth can just be devastating. Yeah. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by the Arthropod Brothers. (laughs) Hank and John Green, shrimp and bug. He's a sea bug. I'm a land bug. We're the bug boys. You can call us that because our egos are strong now. Actually, I'm worried uh, now that yeah, I've said it out I, loud. I'm gonna, my, your ego is strong. You you can call Hank Bug, I guess, but please do not call me shrimp. It's funny you, you wanna, say that. What in, about the... Because, you know, like the, 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 the words that were used to make fun of me in elementary school, it wasn't even, it's not a good nickname, but they called me Johnny Boy. Oh, interesting. And it just ripped me up. Every time I hated it, I I just, it just reminded me that I was in, I had absolutely no control over what was happening to me at school, like no physical control, no emotional control. Like it was, and, and, and I, I couldn't even pick my name, you know? And recently I saw a TikTok comment where somebody called me Johnny Boy and I got so activated. <laughs> like my and it was actually a really nice like, comment. Why it would was you like, say that it to was me? Like, I read Paper Towns at the perfect time in my life. It made a big difference. So thanks, Johnny Boy. And I was like, I hate you. Sorry, what was your comment? <laughs> All right, John, can you continue with our sponsors? No, I. this is a therapy session, Hank, not a podcast. <laughs> Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by the Carbonated Ocean. The Carbonated Ocean. I mean, it's a delicious LaCroix Ocean. It's just also the last mistake we'll ever make. <laughs> this, this podcast is also brought to you by the pants that were sent to the students of Glenridge Middle School. Not good. <laughs> no. No, they were... Like 45 inches in diameter, but only two inches in length. (laughs) And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by Hank and John's exciting new secret Patreon podcast, This Week in Wordle and Other Things. (laughs) Our, wow, somebody name it for us. Brodel, 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 Greendel. We're geniuses mm. at naming. We also have a Project Blossom message. The Bug Brothers Wordle. Oh, no, don't make us the Bug Brothers, please. Please, please don't do that to us. <laughs> we also have a Project Blossom message from Edwin to Lauren. Wow, what a week. Am I right? 
I have no idea what to write here. So I just wanted to give you an embarrassing <laughs> piece of PDA. I love you very much. And 2020 proved it even more. I kept falling in love over and over as we picked up our pandemic hobbies one after another. I can't wait to see what the future holds for us. Well, that's oh, lovely. I wish you all the nice. best. Yeah. I, I'm sure that you wrote that thinking this will be fun to re- hear when the pandemic is over. <laughs> Joke's on you, bud. <laughs> So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's sustainable toilet cleaner tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. This next question comes from Rob, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm 40 years old and a little embarrassed that I don't know this, but is the Library of Congress a library? Like, could I go check out an absolutely remarkable thing or the Anthropocene reviewed? Are the members of Congress reading Harry Potter when they should be balancing the budget? Literature and laws, Rob. 
Yes, it is a library, uh, but it is not a library you can check out books from. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you have to do the reading there. You got it's it's what's called a reference library right. where um you can go look at a book but don't you dare take it away cuz uh we we don't trust you. <laughs> um and anyone it is technically the Library of Congress. So it is the library that is there to serve Congress. However, anyone can use the Library of Congress as long as you are 16 years or older. Oh. So 15 and a half, not allowed. Get out of this building. You cannot have any of our, we do not trust you. You can't drive a car. You can't look at this book. Can't you make photocopies though? Uh, I don't know. I think I you can. I, because... that, was not, that makes sense that you could. So the reason I think you can make photocopies is that I think that's how our grandfather finally found a copy of his brother's novel was at the Library of Congress and he couldn't take it out. So what he did was he photocopied every spread and took that home. I think. I don't know. Maybe maybe he broke the law, but he's dead now. And the statute of limitations (laughs) has passed anyway. So don't try to come for us, Library of Congress. Yeah, the yeah, it it's pretty cool and the idea is that like basically everything is there. Yeah. Which is difficult because it is a finite building. Um but they have found ways to pack a lot of information into it. However, I think at this point not everything that is published in the US makes its way physically into the Library of Congress anymore and they are transitioning to systems that will allow mm. them to have all of the stuff but not all of the stuff physically. Mm. I met the librarian of Congress once. That's also a cool thing about the Library of Congress. Yeah. There's a librarian of Congress. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like I think a, they have to be a presidential uh, like a, appointment. Yeah, they have, they're appointed by the president and they have to be like approved by the Congress and everything. Yeah. The current yeah. librarian of Congress is actually, as you would expect, probably one of the coolest librarians in America. Her <laughs> name is, is yeah. Carla Hayden and she's just a awesome awesome uh leader in in the library world so uh yeah pretty cool it was very cool to meet the librarian of congress for me it was about equivalent to meeting like the vice president you know sure depending on the vice president (laughs) yeah there have been uh 14 librarians of congress since 1802 so yeah, no, it's a wow. long-term gig. Yeah. So, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to ask you this question because I do not know the answer. Madeline writes, Dear John and Hank, I was walking around campus, I attend Ball State University, with my boyfriend yesterday, and while chatting about something I can no longer remember, I used the phrase, heard through the grapevine. And for the first time in my 20 years of life, I noticed just how odd that phrase is. <laughs> Where did it come from? What does it mean? Are all grapevines omniscient? Can I put my ear to a grapevine and hear watered down versions of the secrets and stories of the universe? Grapes are tattling, and I am Madeline, that is nice. Excellent name specific wow. sign off. Wow. wow, it was question specific and name specific. I feel like you should potentially get a bachelor's degree from Ball State just for that sign off. John, so the grapevine, John. There is a a thing that is in all, all of our worlds mm-hmm. that looks like 
a grapevine, yep. but is just very much bigger. And we don't think of them that much because of how they've been around for our whole lives. But for, for people in the past, they were new and they were very advanced and they were bleeding edge technology and they popped up all around the country and they had a very, to them, grapevine look of what, what a currently existing thing uh, that they could compare them to was a grapevine. Do you know what that thing is? Was it the telephone? It was telegraph wires. Telegraph. Um, okay. So telegraph wires and also subsequently telephone wires. Okay. Uh, looked like kind of grapeviney because wow. that was the closest you could get to it. Just a bunch of poles with things slung between them. And the way that this spread around and where exactly it came from is is unclear as it all as it so often is. Yeah. Um, and there is even a competing theory that there was a a bar called the Grapevine where Union soldiers would meet with Confederate or with their spies, so spies from the Confederacy, um, and that maybe that was it. But um, it seems to be the the less significantly less likely of the two. Um, and there are also uh, in other countries there are similar sayings about telegraph wires, um, and uh, and and the transition from telegraph uh, things and gossip, just like people talking to each other things. So, wow, it, it seems like that the grapevine uh, was a way of sort of saying like the telegraph looks like a grapevine, and but this is like the 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 sort of old school version of that newfangled thing is us gossiping. I like that a lot. Now I will use that phrase a little more often, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't doesn't make any sense to us anymore because a, to us a telephone wire looks like a telephone wire. But it was a it's it's fun to have those moments where you can put yourself in the the mind of a person who is like, look at all of these new things that are suddenly everywhere and that yeah. a huge amount of resources are going to create it. Right. Like I know people who are involved in that. I yeah. know who work for that company and and you know, now it's just normal infrastructure that we never think about. Yeah. Can I tell you my all-time favorite telegram? In the 1930s, the journalist Robert Benchley was working for the New Yorker, and he was dispatched to Venice, Italy, to write a story. And he arrived, and the moment he arrived, he sent a telegram to his editor back at the New Yorker that read, streets full of water, please advise. <laughs> oh yeah there's a there's a bunch of good ones though the telegram became its own little art form you know like uh dorothy parker was 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 a master um of uh, uh of telegrams so i don't have to be a master of telegrams john instead i have to be an amateur at tweets yes it's true and I'm sure that someday people will look back on tweets with the same sort of fuzzy-eyed nostalgia that we <laughs> yeah, currently look will. back on telegrams. But I just want to tell this those is... people of the distant future, I yeah. can't speak to about telegrams, but Twitter sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this all the time, how we how we imagine that people will look back on our moment as 
awful as we imagine it to be while we're here. But I think that they're going to think that it was cute and revolutionary and full of culture that they think is fun. And they will for- they, we will just forget all of the terrible uh, as long as we are there to forget it. That is mostly what we do. John, do you have news from AFC Wimbledon for me? I have I have a lot of news. So today, as we are recording this, is actually the transfer deadline day, the last day that mm. you can sign new players. And you'll recall that Ryan Reynolds bought our striker. Yes. Pretty yes. frustrating situation. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, it, in terms of results, we uh, have had some mediocre ones. We tied Shrewsbury 1-1. Ayuba Sal scored a goal, which was great, but then we gave up a goal in the second half in the most annoying way possible. Before that, uh, we had a 2-0 loss to Ipswich Town where we were completely paid off the pitch. Basically, we've been drawing or losing all of our games going back to uh, forever ago. Like, I don't think we won a game in December or January. Oh, wait, no, we won a game in early December. So it's been a bad run of results, which is why all all AFC Wimbledon fans everywhere have been like, okay, so who are we going to, who are we going to sign that is going to, you know, score, score goals? So you have this money to be useful. Four minutes ago, um, AFC Wimbledon tweet, AFC Wimbledon's official Twitter account tweeted, going for a late night drive. Anyone want to come <laughs> to question mark? But two was spelled T-W-O. Now, <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? Are they doing an ARG? What's happening? <laughs> Now, we have also signed a striker. His name is Sam Cosgrove. Uh, hmm, I'm not not totally sold, but I've been wrong before. He does look like a large person, which is key. We've talked about this before. Uh We have a Ubisol. He's small. We need a large one. And and it seems that Sam Cosgrove maybe fits that bill. Um, So we'll see. Maybe he is the future of our club. But in the meantime, I'm very curious about this, uh, the apparent two players that we're going to sign literally in the next hour because it's about to be midnight in England. Going for a late night drive. Anyone want to come too? And it's the it's the Mimam's Carvine. Yes, it's the Mimam's Carvine, which it's great With to see AFC, AFC Wimbledon over the logo. It's great to see AFC Wimbledon really stepping up their meme game, <laughs> something that's been woefully <laughs> lacking from their social media presence yeah. in the past. Well, and, I, and they've really, yes, they've they're they're very current with their memes. Yes. Uh, you know, the Mimam's Carvine, which yes. is from only only 7 years ago. You know what, though, Hank? I don't. I don't really want my football club vroom, vroom. To, be, to be that good at memes. No, I agree. It it is actually a bad sign. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see. I guess, Broom, I guess I'll have more Nathan Brome. In- everybody's got everybody's got Brome guesses because she says broom broom in the video. Yeah, I don't. Do you think- know who any of those people are? Do I know who Nathan Broom is? I mean, yeah. yeah. Is he is he is he the VP of sales at SMB? 
No. Because that's what my Google says he No. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe we are signing a, a goalkeeper in the last five minutes of the transfer window. I, <laughs> it's not impossible. Uh... <laughs> I mean, who, who am I kidding? I have no idea what we're going to do in the next 45 minutes. What's going on in Mars News? I love that people are looking into, look, look, looking so far into the particular vine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that might be like an overread of the meme. Yeah. But if it's mm-hmm. not, credit to AFC Wimbledon's meme team for digging real deep into the broom Biden. broom memes. <laughs> Maybe we'll sign two um, players named Broom. If we sign two players named that Broom. That would be weird. And that was uh-huh. hinted at by a uh-huh. meme of somebody seven years ago saying Broom Broom, broom. then 100 points to AFC Wimbledon's <laughs> meme team. There's no way we can get relegated with that high quality meme discourse. Well, in Mars News, John. Um, so there, there are these weird tracks on Mars. Um, that we have been taking pictures of and seeing with the high rise uh, experiment. So there's a it's a uh, instrument on the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, and they have been spotting all of these boulder tracks. They found 4,500 of them, which are basically uh, boulders falling down slopes, and they make a very particular pattern. And oh, quite lovely. And uh, and the idea is. That the that is being posited is that this is caused by Mars quakes. So mm. active geology. There's not really anything that could like dislodge something this large or this often. Um, and you can see these sort of individual boulders that got dislodged. So like wind, um, and you can also wind wouldn't. Do yeah, it. wind would probably wouldn't do it. So one thing that people think oftentimes is that wind is very strong on Mars. Uh, wind is very fast on Mars, but it's not strong because it isn't very many actual molecules right. as uh as you know force equals mass times acceleration so the deceleration of those molecules hitting something is m- more deceleration because it's going faster but it's less force because it's much less mass actually running into stuff so it'd be unlikely for uh all of these things to be caused by wind um and uh and that's giving us uh, an idea also because you can see the areas on Mars where it is more likely to happen. It gives you an, an idea of where are the most, over a long period of time, where are the most seismically active areas of Mars. And that, you know, tells us more about the planet and it gives us uh, a, a broader understanding of the geologic activity of Mars, which it seems to still be fairly geologically active, though not tectonically in the way that Earth is. So its static shell does not have plates that move around, but it seems to have a pretty significant um, uh, goings on on the inside, at least over long periods of time. I was going to say it has a significant motion to the ocean, but that would have been potentially misleading. Yeah. Don't want to confuse people that there may be an ocean on Mars. Yeah. But it is really cool how they are using little pieces of information to make inferences about how it's all working. This is something I Mm -hmm. really love about science, how you can do that and then you have to find more information that's unrelated to that first piece of information that would confirm or further indicate the possibility of this resulting from Mars quakes. I just think that's such a cool thing that science does when it's working. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you can, 
you can and we should try and find all like all of the different ways that we can figure out stuff about the universe. We get these little little clues, and then uh, they lead to really robust understanding. Well, Hank, thank you for increasing my robust understanding. And more importantly, thank you for saying, as you know, before saying that force times mass equals acceleration. <laughs> because I did. I did. I did know that. I did. F yeah. equals MA. I, I know exactly what MA. that means. John, yes. thank you for making a podcast with me. Folks, if you want to send us questions, that's how we make the podcast. Um, so you can send them at to Dear Hank and John. Wait, no, to Hank and John, not Dear Hank and John. I bet that whoever has Dear Hank and John at gmail.com has seen a lot of emails. <laughs> but send um, it to Hank to and just, John just at gmail.com. Hank and John at gmail.com. Because <laughs> apparently even I get it wrong. We're off to record our patron-only podcast this weekend. We already did our Wordle today, so we're not going to do a Wordle, but we will talk about stuff that we like this week. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now is by the Greek Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown... Don't forget to be awesome. awesome.